Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson, and we are back for yet another season of the podcast, season six now, which is wild for me to say. The NBA season is already underway, and the biggest games of the college basketball schedule are on tonight. It is also Tuesday, so it is Draft Deep Dives Day once again. And I am here with my co-host, my longtime hashtag basketball colleague, and my less longtime no ceilings colleague, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday evening? Uh, Nick, I'm great. Uh, college basketball is back. The draft cycle and scouting processing. I guess I guess we can say it has officially started. I, I know so, so some people do some more, more extensive high school stuff than others. Um, I'm just really really excited for tonight's games and just this entire season. Yeah, you mentioned no ceilings, and I'm just really excited about the stuff that we're going to be doing over there all season. And it should just be a lot of fun, and we should be just cranking out some awesome content all season. It's been an awesome couple of weeks so far over at No Ceilings, so definitely go check us out over there if you already follow our hashtag basketball work, or even if you just want some good draft coverage from a really solid group of guys. And we're going to start out this season of the podcast by talking about an article on the No Ceilings website that you, Mr. Tyler Metcalf, wrote today about the... Two biggest prospects, I think, certainly number one and number two in most evaluators' minds heading into this college season, Paulo Banquero out of Duke and Chet Holmgren out of Gonzaga. And as you discussed at length in the piece, these are two incredibly different prospects in many different ways, but I think one of the most exciting things about the two of them as a duo is that they really showcase a lot of the changes that have been going on in the NBA over the past few seasons. And you start off the piece in that place, and so we're going to start off the podcast in that place, covering just how much the center position has changed over the past 20 years, over the past 10 years, over the past five years. And we certainly talked at length during last year's draft coverage about how hard it was to evaluate Evan Mobley in the context of how valuable centers are in the NBA these days. And now we have a 2022 draft class that is headlined by two big men. You can quibble about whether Boncaro is truly a center or not, but really these are two big men prospects at the top of the draft. And it's really fascinating to look at that, especially just given how much emphasis has been put on primary ball handlers recently, how kind of cool it is to see that this early section of the prospect evaluation process has these two big man prospects at or near the top of pretty much everyone's lists. For me specifically, it's really surprising to have this many centers towards, you know, as almost locks for the top 10 and, um, I didn't write about him, but Jalen Duran is another name that it will probably get thrown in that top 10 mix uh, quite a bit as the season goes on. And you and I, I feel like we generally hold the same kind of outlook on centers as draft prospects where we really have to view them having that legitimate superstar upside to take them in the early lottery. And that's how we saw Evan Mobley last 
last year, uh, a little bit mixed or more hesitations on James Wiseman the year before, but to really hit that upper echelon of draft prospect, you have to be able to do it on both ends of the floor. And both of these guys do that, or at very least have immense amount of potential to, to do that. And they both do it in really different ways and seeing how completely different their, their games are is really interesting because they'll, I I really don't think that they'll have any glaring issues translating their games to the NBA and whatever style of play um, their, their teams end up playing them in. The interesting thing I think about both of them as prospects, and as I already mentioned, they're very different in terms of their skill sets, but both of them, I think have obvious ways in which they have baseline levels of competency on both ends of the floor. I think we would both agree that Holmgren is a much better defensive prospect and Boncaro is certainly at this point, a better offensive prospect, but you know, with Holmgren, his shooting is quite good for a big man and his passing is good enough where, you know, he's not going to get trapped with the ball in his hands. You know, he's going to be able to make plays with the ball in his hands, even if he's not, you know, a primary guy or a secondary ball handler like Boncaro certainly seems to be. And with Boncaro, you know, he doesn't have the same kind of rim projection chops as Holmgren, but, you know, he's a big dude that's a really good athlete for how large he is. And, you know, those two parts of their respective skill sets makes me think, okay, you know, Paulo could be a superstar on the offensive end. And I think it would be hard to see him being a terrible defender at the next level. You know, maybe I'm not all that confident in him being Mm -hmm. great as a defender, but I don't think he's going to be terrible. I think his IQ and his athletic tools are too good for that. And on the flip side with Holmgren, you know, defense is certainly going to be his calling card at least early on, but his shot is good enough and his passing is adequate enough where I feel like they're at least going to provide something on both ends of the floor, even if really they specialize in one side or the other. I totally agree. And I think Paulo's defense is more of a question mark, at least for me. But like you mentioned, the the physical tools and that baseline um, is enough to make him, you know, just passable. And that that's really all he needs to be because what his upside is on offense is something really special. And the the shot isn't quite there yet. The ball handling isn't super consistent, but the way he was willing to try so many different things and different shot attempts in high school and AAU, it was really encouraging for his future development because he very easily could have just gone down to the block, put his shoulder through a guy's chest who's a foot shorter and 40 pounds lighter than him and dunk over him. But instead he was working on his craft and skill and the results were very frequently poor, but the willingness to try different things and experiment was there. And as that that continues to progress, I think the upside on that end of the floor could make him a really special player. And I'm fascinated to see how he kind of incorporates that creativity and willingness to fail essentially into Duke's more kind of team concept and playing at a higher level where he isn't head and shoulders the guy he's still you know he's still obviously the guy there's a lot of other talent on that team so then with Chet every time you watch him you're afraid that he's going to break in half because of how skinny he is but despite being as light as a feather he battles 
every time in the post. He has an extraordinary sense of verticality at the rim. He knows that he doesn't have to block every shot. He just has to deter it. And with his length, he can do that. He's excellent at staying vertical, locating the ball and swatting it away if he can, if the opportunity presents itself. Otherwise, he stays vertical and makes the guy make a really tough shot. Offensively, he's he's a fluid mover. He's a decent ball handler. He's really smart at manipulating guys' momentum. He doesn't rely on overpowering guys because he can't do that, and he won't have to do that in the NBA or in college, but he can work against their momentum and knock down fadeaways. He's not shy about pulling up, and just his general sense of how to play and basketball IQ on that end of the floor is really encouraging for his future development. So I do definitely want to go back and discuss Chet's physicality, but there is something that we have to get to first, which is the highlight of the piece in the minds of, I think, everybody who's read it so far. And I'm just going to let you go here because this is your magnum opus, Paulo Boncaro as Shrek. Explain, please. When you just put it like that, it sounds like a massive insult and... Uh, you know, yes, I'm comparing him to an animated ogre, and that's not super flattering. Wait, are but... you saying that I insulted you out of context? Come on, man. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> you you would never. Never. Um, <laughs> but don't forget, Shrek was the star in one of the most successful movie franchises of all time. Apollo has the upside to do that. And he's Apollo's just this overwhelming physical force when he wants to be. And the way he tries different things and can find different ways to succeed is akin to how Shrek took out the entire tournament that Lord Farquaad was holding. And it it's not necessary. Not all of it's necessary. There's a little extra flash and a little extra flair to what he does, but it primes him and prepares him to do things in different ways in the future. And it's a good kind of stepping stool for who this person is, what they could become, and what they could develop into. At the same time, Bancaro kind of seems to be torn between two worlds, like Shrek, where Shrek wasn't sure if he should be take this potion to become Prince Charming, or be the nasty ogre that the rest of the world viewed him as, or just be himself and find that middle ground. And Paolo seems really torn between, does he want to be this ball handling offensive initiating wing or should he be the small ball center and him finding that balance and finding the mix of both worlds I think will be really where he hits his apex as a player because I think in his best case scenario he's going to be asked to play both those roles where if his team needs to go big he can scale down to that small forward or at very least power forward position. If his team wants to go small and run and space the entire space of floor and let him play, make some, he can do that small ball five. So as he evolves and grows, how he finds that balance, I think is going to be really unique. Bravo. First of all, second of all, (laughs) I do want to go back briefly to something that you mentioned, which is, Paulo can be a physical presence when he wants to be. And that really, I think, is what fascinates me the most about these two prospects is that just based on looking at their body shape and, you know, how skinny or not they are, you would think that Paulo Banquero would be the guy who's 
constantly challenging people who's super competitive who's mm-hmm. battling under the glass who's charging at people for blocking shots who's you know being that super physical player and you would think that Holmgren would be more of the finesse guy and yet when you look at their actual games you know you get worried almost about how ridiculously competitive and hard charging Chet is given his size whereas with Paulo there are many times where you're left wanting a little more from him in terms of physicality and that is really fascinating to me about these two prospects that you would think just looking at them that one would be the super physical guy and one would be more of the finesse player and it's almost exactly the opposite that was my biggest issue with paulo because he's so much bigger than everyone he was playing against in high school and i really want to chalk it up to that he was just out there trying to do different things and he was bored because they were blowing teams out all the time if that continues to duke against more physical opponents and he's kind of getting pushed around and trying to do this finesse game then i'm really going to be more worried and concerned about how that future growth looks and i don't think he'll be able to really hit that pinnacle of the type of player that he he could be but if he comes in tonight and is a physical rebounder and putting his shoulder through guys chest when he goes to the rim and really just imposing himself and finding that balance of power and finesse because he absolutely has the athleticism and skill to do that then i think that's going to be a great sign for him going forward and because if it is an issue of him just being bored against 16 year olds who are half his size that's one thing cool it's in the past, whatever. You were just out there trying stuff. You were just out there playing ball. If it carries over into the, deep into this college season, then I'm I'm going to be a little more alarmed. And certainly tonight is a very good test in terms of the level of athleticism that he's going to be facing, as opposed to you know what he was facing in a yes. regular basis at the lower levels. Let's move now from Paulo to Chet and. The thing about Chet is that it's kind of interesting in the sense that, you know, he is someone who probably his best offensive skill at the moment is his shooting touch. And, you know, again, looking at him and him being a seven foot shooter, you think, oh, okay, this is a stretch five type. But so much of his value comes on the defensive end of the floor. And it's kind of an obvious thing to repeat but he's 7'1 and 195 pounds and Tyrese Halliburton coming into the NBA was 6'6 175 pounds and he looked like a stick figure and you know pretty much every time I've talked about Tyrese on the defensive end I've said well he always knows where to be and that's a really valuable skill but he looks like he weighs about four pounds on the court and Chet has that problem magnified to the absolute highest possible degree but this tools are all there and you know his frame is skinny but not 7 195 pounds skinny and you know that's the kind of thing where we probably won't see what he will look like in terms of his body for the majority of his career until you know three four years from now once he's spent a couple of years in nba weight rooms but you know, all the instincts are there on the defensive end. And if the biggest concern for him is he's just not big enough, that's a lot bigger of a problem for a center than it is for a point guard slash wing type like Tyrese Halliburton. 
So I, I'm, I'm, I don't love how skinny Chet is, but given his body type, given how lanky he is, I, I don't think he's never gonna turn into Dwight Howard. He's always gonna be this skinny dude who just won't be able to, you know, bang in the post like traditional centers do. But he's not shy of contact. It's not he. He doesn't play like this frail porcelain doll that his body type may suggest that he would he's really physical in the post he battles to front guys and deny them position and he really tries to do his work early in the possession because he knows that he knows how skinny he is and he knows that if a guy gets an easy entry pass that he's going to be able to just work him but that doesn't stop him from playing physical and I really think that his level or that his innate sense of staying vertical and timing those weak side rotations and swiping down on the ball only when the shooter presents it and not on the guy's arms. I think all of that is just such at such a special state for where he is in his developmental curve and his age compared to pretty much every other 18 year old center that we see come into the NCAA that I don't think he's going to be as much of a liability as so many people are going to make him out to be. Now, I, I could be completely wrong. And tonight, or in their opener, I think they're playing some tiny program, but he just doesn't look ready. And then it, it could be really bad. But at the same time, I think Gonzaga is going to be able to kind of hide him on smaller opponents, especially with Drew Timmy and Balo and Watson and some of the size that they have on that roster. So it'll, it'll be fascinating to see how Gonzaga compensates for that. But given Holmgren's IQ and length and verticality and intelligence and awareness of how to just like tap away balls from opponents and just doing all those little things so he can avoid just getting bullied, I think he'll be okay in the long run. So I want to talk about Holmgren's offensive game quickly and something that you said in the piece that I thought was brilliant and wanted to cover a bit here is how good Chet is on the offensive end at reading his defender's momentum and wrong-footing him. You know, I think part of that is his defensive IQ is good enough such that he sort of has an idea of, okay, you know, if the offensive player goes this way, I got to, you know, take two steps back to cut off his lane to the rim. You know, he uses a lot of that same IQ, I think, on the offensive end where he's really good at just wrong-footing guys and getting space because the defender's momentum is going one way and Chet's pulling backwards. And that is, I think, a really, really encouraging sign for his offensive game because that's the kind of thing where it doesn't matter how skinny he is if he's getting space by mm-hmm. sending guys into the seats. And, you know, he's not exactly a taking ankles kind of handle guy, but, you know, if he's wrong footing his defenders constantly, he'll get that little bit of space that he needs. And when you're 7 1 and have a high release on your jumper, you don't really need all that much space. And it kind of goes back to how he, his awareness on the defensive end of who he is and what his body type is. If he was in high school, just trying to overpower these kids who are just smaller than him, I would be way more concerned about his scoring projection, but you never see that from him. It's always rip through spin, 
get the guy leaning, spin back the other way and drop in a hook shot or low floater. Uh, when, when he drives, it's okay. The guy's flipped his hips. Now, now I'm going to spin back the other way and lay it up. Um, his handle is going to have to tighten up quite a bit to do that at, you know, at each level as he advances, but for where it is right now and the player he is right now, I, I think it's, it's fine, but it's not going to be these crazy bursts like we see from like Kevin Durant or anything like that. It's not going to be, you know, Evan Mobley-esque post-up finesse, but it's really smart, intelligent momentum manipulation and balance and footwork for someone his size. Yeah, you mentioned Kevin Durant, and it's unfair to compare anyone to Kevin Durant, but he was the first player I thought of when I read your sentence about you know how good Chet is at wrong-footing guys and getting them going the other way, getting their momentum going away from him. You know, Kevin Durant was the first player that I thought of in terms of that because Kevin Durant doesn't score at the level that Kevin Durant scores just because he can shoot over the top of people. And, you know, obviously that's a huge part of that. And Kevin Durant's handle and Chet Holmgren's handle is not <laughs> not at all a fair comparison to no, Chet Holmgren. No. But, you know, that is the kind of talent that I think of when you're talking about guys who are so smart on the offensive end that they're just wrong footing their defenders, you know, getting them going the wrong direction rather than just blowing by them. And that's a ridiculously impressive skill for an 18 year old center to have. And that's also the kind of thing where if his handle gets just a little bit better, if his shot gets just Mm -hmm. a little bit better, that is the kind of thing that just tiny improvements in those secondary areas will make a huge difference when they're combined with his intelligence on both ends of the floor. And I I think it's kind of fair to expect some improvement on both those areas, not just from, you know, your general prospect development aspect, but in the sense of his self-awareness. And I'm just kind of really basing this off of interviews I've seen him do and the way he plays, but he he knows he really knows who he is and he knows that he's going to spend a lot of time out on the perimeter and he knows that he's really skilled and can really punish defenses from the perimeter so i expect that handle to improve not drastically but to a point where he's a little crisper with his crossover or it's a little lower or a little more power behind it um and i expect that shot to steadily improve because his motions or his shooting motion right now is really fluid it's reliable looks good he looks comfortable doing it so I'm, I'm really excited to see how he improves on those little things to really take his offensive game to the next level so let's flip back to Boncaro now and I think we both agree that Boncaro's defense is more of a mystery than Holmgren's offense. You know, if we're taking which side of the floor each respective player is better at. But with Boncaro's offense, that's really, I'm just going to say right now that I currently have Boncaro at the top of my big board for the 2022 draft. And that's why, is his passing and playmaking as a 6'10 power forward slash center type, part of the reason that it is difficult for me to put center prospects in the lottery range is, okay, the replacement level for center defense right now in the NBA is very high. Like you can get an above average seven footer, above average defensive seven footer 
pretty much off the scrap heap at any given time. So for me, if you're going to take a center in the lottery, you have to be really confident that they're going to be at the very least solid on defense and really good on offense. Average at both skill sets, but particularly stellar at one. And the reason that I have Paulo as the number one prospect right now is his offensive game, I think, gives him more upside than pretty much everybody else in the evaluation process with the exception of Hardy, and I'm not as high on him as I am on Moncaro. I, I think one of the more, more fascinating parts about Boncaro's offensive game, too, is his playmaking. And he's just really intelligent on how to move the ball and change angles of his past. And he he just has really, really smart and impressive vision for his position. What he does defensively this year is what I'm more intrigued by because I do think that he should be someone in the NBA who's playing 15 minutes a night as the center. But if he cannot take his processing speed on defense up a notch or two or three, like you said, I don't think he'll be able to really hold hold down and be the cornerstone of an NBA defense. What worries me the most is that we're not going to see him a whole lot as that small ball five at Duke because I expect Mark Williams to get a lot of playing time and he came on really strong last season. So Coach K is going to want to win a lot in his last year and I don't think he's going to want to be experimenting with an 18-year-old playing a position that he's not necessarily entirely ready for but would do him wonders for his long-term projection. If Bancaro can really lock in and show that his processing speed and recognition of what the offense is doing, if he can prove that that's improved or that he at least shows flashes of making the rotation in a more timely manner or deflecting passes, doing those little things at a higher level, then I'll be way more encouraged because he is a guy who can really change the dynamic of an NBA game if he can be that replacement level defender at center. So comparing Chet Holmgren's offense to Kevin Durant was unfair in one direction, and I'm about to be (laughs) unfair to Paulo in the other direction, which is the worry about his ability to be an effective defender at center is a huge part of the Boncaro evaluation. And, you know, again, not to be unkind, but going back a few years ago to another star Duke big man prospect in Marvin Bagley, whose incredible athleticism and really great nose for the glass allowed him to just dominate college basketball to the tune of 20 and 10 and getting picked second overall in the 2018 NBA draft. And last year, Marvin Bagley allowed 75% on shots at the rim. Literally opponents shot 75% against Marvin Bagley when he was the primary rim protector, which is why Marvin Bagley basically solidified himself as purely a power forward going forward in his NBA career. And again, I think that's very unfair to Boncaro because a huge part of the issue with Marvin Bagley is having really poor defensive positioning instincts. And I don't think Paulo is anywhere near at that point, but that's the kind of thing that can be a concern for Paulo, where if he really just can't be that primary rim protector guy, then you're kind of shoehorning him into a much smaller box as a pure power forward. Yeah. And 
And even if that is the case, and I, I know you're not saying this necessarily, but even if that still is the case, he still has a tremendous case as the top one, two or three pick. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough because I do think Boncaro has shown more upside as an on-ball defender and more legitimate impact in that realm. And I think he's also a much stronger rebounder and can do more on the offensive end than Bagley could as well. But it, it does make the lineup construction a little more tricky in the NBA. I'm I'm still not as worried about it to, you know, to, to that level, but having, ha- having that recognition improvement and really showing that he's, taken a mental step forward with his ability to slow down the game and really read what the other team is doing because that that's what all the small ball fives in the NBA do at such a great or such a high level is that they always know where to be because if they're out of position for a second the possession's dead and they've lost so they always have to make that right switch. They have to communicate that. They have to make the right rotation and box out and always be in the right spot. So Boncaro absolutely needs to do that to show that he can be a small ball five for spurts. I, again, I don't think we're going to see a ton of it. I, I really hope we do because I think it could lead to some really fun basketball. Um, but even if he doesn't, I think it'll be a lot easier to find kind of that that pairing at center for him than it has been for Bagley. And to be fair to Boncaro as well, he has shown on the offensive end that he is a very intelligent basketball player, and that makes me think that he will be able to figure out the mental side of defense, you know, if not this year, then two, three, four years down the line, certainly. And, you know, as we mentioned up top, he has all the physical tools to be a great defender. So, you know, I believe in his ability to figure things out mentally on the defensive end of the floor. And once he does that, you know, it's not like he is lacking in physical capability of being a good defender. Oh, absolutely. And it, it, it all kind of goes back to our talk earlier with his physicality and is his slow processing speed is his unwillingness to make that rotation. Is that just a symptom of him not caring about the game after they're up 30 against the 16 year olds who are the size of his thigh. And he's just kind of going through the motions and just looking to get out of there for the night. Or is it because he doesn't know what's going on and he doesn't want to absorb that contact at the rim and he's a step behind and doesn't want to foul. That's what I'm most excited to see from him tonight. And just how that progresses throughout the entire season. All right. Anything else you want to talk about here before we wrap things up? I don't think so. I'm, I'm really excited about both these players for the entire season. I We touched on some of their rooms for improvement. I hope that didn't come off as too negative because I, I know both of us are super high on these guys, and I just think they're so skilled and impact the game in such different ways and are just a fascinating evolution of the position and just the game in general. Yes, I definitely want to echo that. 
I like to be as positive as humanly possible when it comes to prospect evaluations. And these two guys are prospects where it's very easy to be incredibly positive about their evaluation. But, you know, when you're talking about the very top of the draft class and these two guys are definitely going to be duking it out, no pun intended, pun maybe slightly intended, but duking it out for the number one slot all year long. They're both incredibly talented. They both will bring really intriguing skill sets to the NBA. And if they can improve on a few of the areas where we've nitpicked them slightly today, then they can go from being, you know, star upside prospects to being, you know, really important prospects for the future of the NBA going forward. And it'll be really exciting to see what they can do this year. All right, Tyler, we are back for another season. Back to talking about the draft together, and it's going to be a fun time. We will be releasing draft deep dives reliably-ish on Tuesday afternoons, as we did last season. But yeah, it's been great to start working with you over at No Ceilings, as well as at Hashtag Basketball, and looking forward to a fun season ahead. He is Tyler Metcalf. You can find his work, as mentioned, on No Ceilings, as well as for Hashtag Basketball and Candace Hoopas. Be sure to check out the article that we discussed today about the juxtaposition of Paulo Banquero and Chet Holmgren. You can find him on Twitter as well at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And also, as well, at No Ceilings and Hashtag Basketball, I wrote an article last week about Marcus Bagley at Arizona State, so check it out if you get a chance. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. That is much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.